Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Amen. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. The hatred and the wrath of God would be burning against us were it not for us having been chosen in Christ Jesus before the world began. But chosen in him, we've been made acceptable to God, and our worship is acceptable to him. And this simple table that is set before us is all that he asks of us to do right now. In addition to our singing and preaching and hearing, this honors him. This is a feast. It's a supper. It's a table. It's his table. It's his supper. And this is what he has chosen with bread and wine for us to have fellowship with him and to remember by those two elements, his broken body and his shed blood for us that made us holy and without blame so that God does love us. And that when we stand before him, and though the books will reveal that we're not any different than those that are consigned to hell, the book of life of the Lamb slain, where we were written before the world began, will deliver us from those books of works. God's love is in the Lord Jesus Christ, where we were chosen and where we want to run by faith in this assembly as we worship him at his table. I've told you that the order of the service is going to be a little different. I do it just to change up the pace a little bit so that our minds will be stirred up to think differently and to look very focused at the Lord's Supper and at what Jesus Christ has done for us. We'll be using Isaiah 53 toward that end and we'll be singing a great deal. But let us pray. Holy Father, we thank Thee for Thy righteous servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who dealt prudently in His life There was no form nor comeliness that men would desire him. But he poured out his soul in offering for our sins. And he sits at your right hand, highly extolled and exalted, Mm -hmm. and far above the heavens themselves. And we thank you that he is coming for us soon. But until he comes for us, he has asked us to remember his death by this simple service. We thank you for giving us your word that tells us in this glorious and grand prophecy in 15 verses about the Lord Jesus Christ suffering not for his sins, but because he was so righteous. And out of envy, the Jews crucified him. But for our sins, he was made an offering for sin. And we thank thee, Heavenly Father, that you have divided the spoil with him, and he has divided it with us, and that he has given us this table and this supper. And now we come 
to worship Him according to His Word. Heavenly Father, without the power of the Holy Spirit and those gracious influences upon our hearts and our minds, our effort will be fleshly and quite fruitless. We ask Thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for His great honor and glory that You will bless us with the presence of Your Spirit and that You will lift us up in the Lord, that You will direct our hearts and our minds toward His offering for sin and our memorial of His death. Let our minds not wander with the foolish things of our lives. Let us not worry about what we'll be doing at 2 o'clock, but let us be worrying about what we're doing at 1140. Heavenly Father, be with us now. We thank Thee for this privilege. We thank You for choosing us in Christ before the world began, and we're bound to give thanks always for You loving us and choosing us in Him. And Heavenly Father, the love of Christ should constrain us. It should move us. It should change our lives, because we should thus judge that if one died for all, all the elect and all the elect were dead. And they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but live for him that died for them and rose again. Heavenly Father, change us in this assembly, not by the elements, but by faith and the grace of the Holy Spirit in those elements. By the word of God, as it reaches our souls by divine blessing, help us now receive our singing and our praise. We give all of it as a gift to the Lord Jesus Christ and to Thee for sending Him for us and choosing us in Him and making us accepted by Him. It's in Jesus' name and for His honor and glory that we now do these things. We love Him and we thank Thee for first loving us. In Jesus' name, Amen. I invite you to find a red hymn book, if you will. Turn with me to number 252 as we enter the Lord's presence as a body this afternoon. When I survey the wondrous cross, it's number 252 in your red books. When I survey the Oh. Uh-huh. 
with me to number 355. Beneath the sacred throne of God. It's number 355. Beneath the sacred throne of God, I saw a river rise,
also written by John Kent. It's an error in that hymnal. There's a couple of those about some of his songs. Do you feel that your sins are like Mary's and Manasseh's? But there rose a cleansing flood of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to wash them all away. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52. There are 15 verses made up of the 12 of Isaiah 53 and the three that conclude Isaiah 52 that belong together. These 15 verses are all about the Lord Jesus Christ. They are quoted in the New Testament several times by Philip and by Jesus and by John and by Peter as being fulfilled in his ministry. Each of these verses deserve a sermon itself, but let's just take a couple, three minutes with each verse, and we'll sing between sections of these 15 verses. We begin at the 13th verse of the 52nd chapter, where God introduces by the Holy Spirit our glorious Savior. There's no doubt that this passage refers to Him. Our first parents stood shivering in the Garden of Eden. With terror, as God declared their fearful doom, but promised a seed to the devil that would bruise his head, and the devil would merely bruise his heel. That is our Redeemer. As Revelation progressed from Genesis chapter 3 throughout our 66-book Bible, we come to this in the middle of the Bible, where we have some explicit, descriptive, graphic language about our Lord Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross. I read the first three verses to you of this section, which are the last three of chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Behold with me and take a look at our Lord Jesus Christ. He is introduced here as the servant of God, my servant. He is the seed of the woman. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, and our Lord. The Lord's servant, the one that God laid 
help upon and the one the Lord God chose other people to save us shall deal prudently. None was as prudent as the Lord Jesus Christ. He was prudent by being subject to his parents. He confounded Jewish doctors at the age of 10 by his prudent wisdom. He dealt graciously with his hometown of Nazareth, though they despised him. He was prudent in silencing his enemies, teaching righteousness, far exceeding that of the Pharisees, caring for his disciples, relieving the oppressed, forgiving the sinful, maintaining his integrity under trial, holding courage at death, forgiving his murderers, resisting temptation, so forth and so on. Never man spake like this man. They told us in the Gospel of John, no king has ever been as prudent as Jesus Christ. David described a perfect king on his deathbed in the first five verses of 2 Samuel 23, but his description was of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he said, God has made with me an everlasting covenant, and those sure mercies of David are his son, the Lord Jesus. The great and holy God said that he was well pleased with his prince and son, because his prince and son was very prudent and dealt prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled. And so as we open this 15-verse passage, we are told what it's going to be like at the end of the 15 verses that Jesus would be exalted, that is, lifted up on high, and He would be extolled, that is, to be praised and adored and worshipped. And we're able to see that when we open up the book of Revelation, the fifth chapter. We see the Lord Jesus Christ there as a lamb slain, taking the book out of the hand of Him that sits in the throne, and the respective choirs of heaven break into songs of praise as they adore the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. The Bible says He's higher than the heavens. The Bible says God has given Him a name which is above every name. The Bible says that He is far above all principalities and powers, thrones, mights, and dominion. He is higher than kings because He's the prince of the kings of the earth. Verse 14, As many were astonished, at thee. It's very important for you to grasp that little adverb as and the little adverb so in the beginning of verse 15. It is very important lest you get confused. I would recommend you circle each of those two little two letter adverbs and draw a line between them because that is the thought. As many were astonished at thee, his crucifixion, which was an overwhelming way of hurting The Lord Jesus Christ was the means by which He sprinkled nations. It's as so. It is a very powerful English construction showing this is the way in which He sprinkled nations. It's by the crucifixion and marring of Him that we can read about in verse 14 that this was done. Blood came from the Lord Jesus Christ because of what was done to Him in verse 14. And many were astonished at what was done to Him. There were women around the cross that followed Him as He attempted to take His cross up Mount Calvary, grieving and weeping for Him. Peter tried to keep Him from even going to the cross. He didn't think it proper or possible that the Lord Jesus should suffer such harm. His visage is His face. His visage was marred more than any man. That's the front, that's the face. It's the front part of the head. The distortion of our Lord took place because of a life filled with sorrows and grief. 
and because of what took place in 24 hours at his crucifixion. The distortion of his visage and form was such that at the age of 30, from grief, fastings, travels, preaching, and trouble, the burden of our sins, the Jews estimated him to be not yet 50 years of age before he went to his trial. But when he went to his trial, as I mentioned this morning, they pulled his beard and plucked it from his face. You get angry and it hurts when your razor or shaver grab one hair and pull it. It's painful. But they tore his beard from his face. They blindfolded him and smashed him in the face and dared him to tell them if he was the Son of God who had just hit him. They drove thorns down into his head with a reed. They scourged his back, but that wouldn't touch his visage. It's the thorns, the punching, the beard plucking that changed his facial appearance and marred it more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. He had an extreme case of being bruised facially and it astonished men who had loved him and the women that were there at the cross. But he did that in order to sprinkle many nations, as the 15th verse tells us. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Our Lord Jesus sprinkled many nations with his blood. We are not infant baptizers. We don't sprinkle babies. This is the sprinkling of the nations by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that as my father read in the prayer room this morning from Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, the song, one of the songs that is sung in that glorious chapter is that Jesus Christ is worthy to receive honor and blessing, for he has redeemed out of every nation his body of elect. And we will thank him out of every nation for his sacrifice for us. The Bible says that we were elect according to the foreknowledge of God unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Not only that, but he poured out the Holy Spirit on them as a reward and a result of his death. Not only that, the gospel itself is called dew and rain and a pouring out And that was poured out upon the Gentiles and the nations as well. For the rest of this verse describes things that kings heard that they would never have heard otherwise if it hadn't been through the gospel. And they heard things and they were able to see miracles that were performed with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. They would be silenced by the glad tidings that they would hear. And they would greatly desire to hear these things. Agrippa, Festus, Felix, Herod, and others desired to hear Jesus or to hear about Him. And others have heard of Him often. You know, we appreciate the story of King George II of England. Upon hearing one of the first performances of Handel's Messiah in 1742, he stood when the orchestra and choir reached the Hallelujah Chorus. Because it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so it is a custom in our nation, it's a custom in England, that when we hear the Hallelujah Chorus, which says the Lord God Omnipotent reigneth, He is King of kings and Lord of lords, we all stand because King George II stood, because he had just heard the gospel presented in song by Handel's Messiah. Consider his virgin birth. 
Those are things that kings would never have heard of or would never have known. But they heard about a virgin-born Son of God. Consider His miracles, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His appearances after His resurrection, and His ascension into heaven. And so we have an introduction to Isaiah 53 in these three verses. Behold, look with me at my servant. My servant shall deal prudently. Jesus did all those things that always pleased His Father in heaven. He is exalted and extolled and very high. And as many were astonished at what happened to Him in the 24 hours leading to His death, He did it to sprinkle many nations. And we are one of those nations. And we have been sprinkled by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And kings have heard things that they would never have heard otherwise. And we have heard those precious things ourselves in the preaching of the gospel. And let's sing of them as we turn again to our hymnals. 247 in your red. Of sacred head now wounded. 247. Of sacred head now wounded with grief and shame Thy dying song. 
never outlive our love to Him. Isaiah the 53rd chapter and the first verse. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. The Lord Jesus applies this first verse to the unbelieving Jews in his day, and we will find this verse applied to them as well by Paul in Romans 9 through 11, which we're studying. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, his own received him not. Incredible unbelief. But if it was not for the sovereign grace and power of God, not one of us would see. Because except a man be born again... He cannot see. None of us would come because the Bible says no man can come except the Father which hath sent me draw him. None of us would hear because it says he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. None of us would believe because the Bible says and Jesus testified but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep as I said unto you. Nor would we receive him or his gospel Because the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Though this is the servant of God, though this is the seed of the woman, though this is the seed of Abraham, though this man dealt prudently, and though this man is exalted very high, and is extolled, and though he sprinkled many nations and kings heard things about him that they never would have heard before, who believed it? Though they, he performed so many miracles. Who believed it? The Apostle Paul will ask and answer that question in the chapters that we're studying. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is His strength and the means by which He obtained our salvation for us. But we wouldn't see it, believe it, receive it, or obey it if it wasn't for the grace of God. Many are called, but few are chosen. And you should thank the Lord this morning if there's a part of you that loves the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's a part of you that appreciated and loved and rejoiced in Romans 9, 10 through 13, if there's a part of you that loved preparing for this service in reading these 15 verses of Isaiah, if you look forward to the singing these songs of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ for laying down His life for us, it's by the grace of God. Amen. For He shall grow up before Him 
The Lord Jesus Christ grew up before God, His Father, as a tender plant, a weak and a fragile plant, a malnourished root which didn't have proper water. As one growing out of dry ground, He wasn't full of vitality like the world expects and measures men. He had no form nor comeliness that we would desire Him. There was no beauty that would cause us to desire Him. He did not have a reputation or gifts that men measure to find Him attractive to them. He was born in the little obscure town of Bethlehem and laid in a feeding trough for His first bed. There was no room for Him or His parents of such a lowly and humble status. His mother purchased the cheaper of the two options from the law of Moses for His sanctification. Even Nathaniel, the Israelite indeed, said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? There was nothing naturally appealing about the Lord Jesus. The Jews sought a military captain that would deliver them from Rome. And they didn't appreciate the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, that delivered us from the power of the strong man and out of his palace and God obtained eternal life for us in heaven. What a disgusting corruption of priorities to care about Rome and forget about hell and death. And Jesus delivered them from that. He had no pedigree, education, inheritance, intelligence, appearance, strength, charisma, successes, or other traits that would cause natural men and blinded Jews to desire Him. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in word and deed, but not Jesus of Nazareth. Solomon was endowed with natural intellectual abilities that caused his fame to go far and wide, but Jesus of Nazareth had little of this reputation for knowledge because he didn't waste what he had on such things. He wasted his, as they would think, on the kingdom of heaven. David slew Goliath at an early age in the ultimate national setting, but Jesus of Nazareth had only the youthful demonstration of his spiritual understanding with the doctors of the law in the temple at Jerusalem. He was not a self-promoter, for he told those that he healed to tell no man. You look at him in that second verse of Isaiah 53, and there was nothing in him of a natural sort to cause us to desire him. There was no comeliness or form. But as Brother Jerry and I spoke at break time, When the Lord Jesus comes the second time, there will be some form and some comeliness. And He will have some accomplishments and some glory that all the combined glory and majesty of the world and all of its rulers from the beginning of time, taken together, squared and cubed, will not come close to the Lord Jesus Christ. So though we have verse 2, don't forget there's verse 12 and there's verse 13 of chapter 52. This is part of His humiliation. Jesus Christ is no longer humiliated. Jesus Christ is glorified. And understand the difference. His his humiliation was when He humbled Himself to become a man and then humbled Himself further as a servant, then humbled Himself further to the death of the cross. Quickly on to verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Never was a good man so hated by his own people as was Jesus of Nazareth. The Jews called him merely a carpenter's son. They called him a Samaritan. They said he was devil-possessed, that he was a deceiver, a wine-bibber, and a blasphemer. 
That's what his own people said about the Lord Jesus Christ. When with a choice, the Jews chose Barabbas, a seditious murderer, over the Lord Jesus Christ. And for what cause? Why did they do this to him? Because he had done no violence. It's verse 9. As we look ahead for just a moment, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He was not popular. He was despised and rejected. And are you, are you willing to go outside of the city to him? Are you willing to leave the popularity of men to go find the Lord Jesus Christ and company with him? I trust that you are. He was not successful, but familiar with grief. When he told his friends of his coming suffering, they foolishly rebuked him. He was so afflicted in Gethsemane that he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Even his companions of several years were ashamed of him at a public confrontation and fled away, deserting him after their most memorable evening together. And one denied he ever knew him. At his travesty of a trial, where were the thousands he had healed and fed? They were all in Jerusalem and close at hand, for it was the Passover. But they all turned their faces away. This is the Lord Jesus Christ and part of the burden he bore before he reached Calvary. He humbled himself to this. And he endured this kind of treatment by men. And I hope that you notice that the prophet says... We hid, as it were, our faces from him. For instead of assigning all that blame to the Jews, just admit and recognize that if you had been there, you would have done the same thing if it wasn't for the grace of God. 503 in your burgundy. Number 503. Stand with me, if you will, and let's sing this song before we go further. 503. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Was great. 
seated mercy there was great where there where at Calvary and grace was free free to you costly to God it was his only begotten son and pardon was multiplied to you at Calvary you know we were able to understand a song like that more than the songwriter ever intended we can understand it in the legal sense of what happened, and we can understand it in the practical sense of conversion of when we first heard about what was done for us at Calvary. What Paul will describe in Romans 10 as once you know about Christ, it puts an end to the law for righteousness because he's obtained it for us. Amen. Isaiah 53 and verse 4. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs, If he was acquainted with grief in the third verse, surely you should understand why. Whose? Who caused the grief? It was you and me. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 and verse 4. The life of the Lord Jesus Christ was to carry the griefs and sorrows of men, but they cared not for it. What gracious kindness he showed to an ungrateful nation with healings and exorcisms of all sorts. And please let me tell you that the first half of the fourth verse is quoted by Matthew in Matthew chapter 8 and the 17th verse about his bearing the physical maladies and the sicknesses and the devil possession of his generation and healing men. He bore our pain and our troubles right down to the practical ones in addition to everything else that is going to be laid on him that is described in this chapter. Our peace with God by his chastisement and so forth and our sins and our transgressions. But in this first half of the fourth verse, it includes and it's applied by Matthew to his healing power. What does it say of him? They, everyone that was sick brought all manner of diseases to him and he healed every one of them. Right. 
Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Without elaborating too much, we have two disjunctives here. Yet and but. Yet starts this, and but begins the next verse. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The esteeming him is counting him as being stricken, as being smitten of God, and as being afflicted for his sins. Because there are two disjunctives wrapped around this. That's why we have but beginning the fifth verse. But he was wounded for our transgressions. His hard life, his miserable life, his life of grief and his life of sorrow was not because God did not favor him. God loved him. But his hard life and his difficult life was because he was bearing our griefs and he was bearing our sorrows of a practical sort. Then he bore our sins as he got closer and closer to the cross. We, we counted him. We esteemed him. We measured him as being stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted as if God were punishing him for his sins. But no, it was for our sins. That's why we have those two disjunctives, especially the fifth verse, which we look at now. But he was wounded for our transgressions. The wounds that the Lord Jesus Christ endured, his afflicted life and his cruel death, clearly punishments from heaven. Right. The way things happened to him were not God's judgment for blasphemy, as the Jews said in John chapter 10, or any other sin by him, but rather a substitutionary sacrifice for our own sins. He was wounded for our transgressions. All the wounds that the Lord Jesus Christ endured, especially those of His trial and His crucifixion, was for your transgression of God's law, the time that you have run violently against God's laws and broken them. He was bruised, and the Lord did bruise and bruised Him facially. We've already read that His visage was marred more than any man. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace, our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. Those stripes were the stripes applied by the Roman scourge to his back. Part of his punishment that led his blood shed and led to his death on the cross healed us. And the Apostle Peter would pick it up in 1 Peter 2.24 and say, by his stripes we are healed. When he gives the example of how we ought to work on the job, that we ought to be able to put up with a little bit of pain and suffering on the job because the Lord Jesus Christ put up with pain and suffering for our redemption. So that but that starts off verse 5 contrasts verse 5 with verse 4 and tells us that all the wounds he had, all the bruises he took, the chastisement that was obvious upon him, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It appeared that God was judging him, and God was judging him, but not for his sins. It was all for ours, so it's repeated four times in that fifth verse. We come to verse 6. All we, like sheep, that's a simple simile, we're like sheep, stupid. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Ignorant and foolish, we chose our own way rather than the way of righteousness. When the Lord looked upon the children of men, He found none in the right way, according to Psalm 14. He said that in Psalm 10 and verse 4, there is no thought... God is not in all their thoughts. Psalm 10 and verse 4. 
God made man upright, but he sought out many inventions, like sheep. Just ran away, ran to our own way, as it says. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord gave us so many blessings. Solomon had so many of them, but he wrote and he came to a conclusion. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, the Lord hath made man upright, but he sought out many inventions. The Lord gave Adam a wonderful thing called a wife. Her name was Eve. Solomon multiplied her a thousand times. And at the conclusion of his experience and experiment with marriage, he said, I have not found a single one worth having. They are more bitter than death. We're like sheep. We just run to our own way and do our own thing. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord chose the mighty son of David upon whom to lay the work of paying for all our sins. Sin and sins were laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ in a divine transaction whereby God could consider the substitution sufficient for His absolute justice and absolve you and me from all our guilt and consider us in His perfect righteousness. For the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. We cause the iniquities. We're the source of the iniquities. We turn everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid all that on the Lord Jesus Christ. 257 in the red. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Number 257. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted. See him die Tis the Christ by man rejected, yes, my soul, tis he, tis he, tis the Amen. 
Whosoever believeth on him shall not be confounded. In that great day there will be no fear to you, nor confusion of face or mind. The Lord Jesus Christ will be your intercessor, your Savior, and your mediator. Let's go to Isaiah 53 and verse 7. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. In verse 7 is describing his trial, verbal trial, and then his trial by torture. He didn't say anything. In fact, they marveled that he didn't say a word. And not until he was sworn to testify of himself, Did he say anything? And then he told them, you bet I'm the Son of God. And I say unto you, hereafter you're going to see me descending from heaven in the clouds with the mighty angels in power and great glory. And he did that 40 years later, figuratively in judging the nation of Israel. Because he used the same words to say to those of his time, there be some of you standing here that shall not taste of death till they have seen the Son of Man coming in his kingdom coming with his angels in great power. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't revile them. He didn't threaten them. And those words are taken from Isaiah 53 and stuck into 1 Peter chapter 2, where it's describing how we are supposed to submit ourselves to a forward boss. What what can a boss do to you compared to this? And yet he didn't open his mouth. 
He didn't revile. He didn't call, that means to call someone names and to use negative and, and evil terms towards someone. The Lord didn't do that and you shouldn't do that. Though someone might mistreat you on your precious little job, the Lord Jesus Christ was dared and oppressed and afflicted and he did not open his mouth. All the accusations about him being the king of the Jews, all the dares and threats about him being the son of God, come down from the cross, tell us who just hit you in the face. He didn't say a word, giving us a holy example. The Bible is such a wonderfully interconnected book that though right now we are considering the Lord's Supper and His legal transaction for us to pay for our sins, yet there's always the practical benefit of looking at the example He gave us, and the Bible applies that as well. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before shears is dumb. That's not intelligence. That's ability to speak or the act of speaking. They're silent. They just let you cut their throat and bleed out. They just let you shear off all their wool. So the Lord Jesus Christ didn't open His mouth, giving us an example to keep our mouths shut. But He didn't do that. But did He have anything to say? Could He have thought of something to say? Did He know anything about their lives? When they said, tell us who just smote you in the face, did He know their grandmothers? Did He know their sins? Their secret sins? Did He know their eternal destiny? Could he have threatened a few things? Could he have reviled them? He didn't. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Instead of being protected by the civil arm and the military arm, he was punished by it. He was taken from prison. He should have been protected in prison from the angry mob that sought his crucifixion. And he was taken from judgment because there in a judgment hall, he did not receive judgment. He was judged. If he would have received judgment, he was taken from it. He would have had a fair trial, and they would have known that he was guiltless. Pilate knew that he had no guilt. The accusers that came could not make their stories and witnesses match. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? Jesus Christ died in the prime of life without wife or descendants. Who's going to declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living, as it goes on to say in the next clause, in the prime of life, 33 and a half years old. If I don't want to waste any time on this, but if you were to read anything knowledgeable about the development of a man's body and physical powers, he reaches the ultimate at the age of 34. You can go measure that by looking at the master's tables for world records in athletic performances. Between the ages of 19 and 34, testosterone begins to decline, but the maturity of a man's body reaches its peak at 34, but Jesus was cut off out of the land of the living in the prime of life. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. It wasn't for himself. He gave up his life and was cut off out of the land of the living so that others were not. And for the transgressions of those people, he made his grave with the wicked. He was crucified between two thieves common criminals. So he died with them. Though his grave wasn't among them, his grave was differently. It's using grave here as a synecdoche or metonym for his death. In his death, he was crucified with two thieves and he was buried with the rich in his death. But why did he die? Why did he have to die at all even between two thieves? 
Why did he have to be buried even though it was in a rich man's tomb named Joseph of Arimathea? Why? Because he had done no violence. Because he was perfect. Because he was righteous. Because he wasn't bloodthirsty like Caiaphas and the rest of the Jews. Because he was different from them. They despised him for it. And Pilate knew because of envy they had brought the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did Cain kill Abel? It's the same reason they killed Jesus. Cain killed Abel because Abel's works were righteous and his were not. And the Jews killed the Lord Jesus Christ because his works were righteous And they were not, because he had done no violence. He had never hurt or harmed anyone. Remember from Hebrews 7.26, Jesus Christ is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, higher than the heavens. But he's harmless. He never hurt anyone, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He never deceived, misled anyone. That is why they killed him. That is why he was treated like a common criminal. And that is why he was put in the ground. It was for the transgression of my people that he was stricken. In verse 8, because he had none of his own. Number 248 in your red hymnals. Ah, holy Jesus, how hast thou No. 
and thy bitter passion for my salvation. Therefore, kind Jesus, since I cannot Therefore, since I cannot pay thee, I will adore thee and ever praise thee. The last three verses of Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen and amen. Amen. In spite of the Lord Jesus Christ being God's servant, who dealt prudently, who had no sin himself, no violence, Neither was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to do to his face what we read about in the 14th verse of chapter 52, that his visage was so marred more than any man. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, because if he hadn't bruised him, he would have bruised you, and you are not capable of the bruising that God would give you. So it would take an eternity in the lake of fire for you to ever satisfy to in the least degree the guilt of your sins. Because you are so finite in ability to take pain, it is inflicted for eternity to match your sins. Jesus Christ was infinite and took the pain of our hell, the guilt of and shame of our sins upon himself when the Father turned away from him and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This is God's opinion of sin that even his only beloved son would cause the Lord to be pleased by such a thing. He, that is Almighty God, hath put him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, to grief because he would have put you to grief if it hadn't been for Jesus willing to go 
and suffer that grief for you and me. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, when God prepared a body for the Lord Jesus Christ, when God would not find another cup for the Lord Jesus Christ, but sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall see his seed. Jesus knew for whom he was dying. Jesus knew you while he hung on that cross. And he thought of you. And he knew why he was doing it. He was not doing it for himself. He was not doing it as an example. He was doing it as a substitute for you. He shall see his seed. He saw all those that God had given him. He knew that the will of the Father was to send him into this world and for him to lay down his life for the sheep. He saw all of that. Brethren, I have pages of outline with references that you can look at any time. I have to make the point and go on. I've made the point before to you, but I want you to understand some of these pronouns, especially in verses 10-11, because they get a little tricky. Because this is a prophet. And he runs back and forth from the first, from past tense, future tense, present tense, and from first person, second person, third person. If you, you should have noticed that already. He shall see his seed. The Lord Jesus Christ saw those for whom he was laying down his life. He shall prolong his days. I have power to lay my life down and I have power to take it again. And he took it again. And is, are his days still going? Will they be going a million years from now? And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It is finished. The pleasure of the Lord prospered in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the last three clauses of this tenth verse are describing the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw his seed, he prolonged his days, and the pleasure of the Lord prospered in his hand. God's plan to save the elect by the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ prospered in his hand. The Lord Jesus Christ, the servant, the righteous servant of God, fulfilled it perfectly. Verse 11 refers back to the Father. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. We make that choice because the doctrine of satisfaction is that God, Almighty God, was reconciled to sinners by the intervention of the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. It was God that needed to be reconciled. It was God that was satisfied by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus He shall see of the travail. He saw what Jesus Christ went through. He measured it against all our sins, and it was sufficient. He was satisfied. When you get to heaven, the charges against you have been satisfied. Though I believe by the testimony of Scripture that we shall all give an account of our lives, of everything done in our bodies, good and bad, when it all is said and done, and all those books of the works have been opened up, And we look just like those being sent to hell. Satisfied. 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 It's been paid in full. His name is in the book of life. And do you know who's going to make sure that happens? Someone who saw his seed when he was on the cross. Right. When you didn't even know how to look yet. Because it happened 2,000 years ago. He saw you and he will not forget you when he can see you with his own eyes and you are beholding his own face with your eyes, he will stand in for you as your mediator and say that has been paid 
in full. And there'll be no argument with the God of heaven because of this text. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Now that's a whole lot of justice that's satisfied. That's a whole lot of holiness. That's a whole lot of righteousness. It takes an eternity in hell. And then that eternity must go on because you still haven't paid for your sins. But he was satisfied. How's that for a sacrifice? There is only one being in the universe that could have planned such a perfect sacrifice for us to pay that price. By his knowledge, we understand that to be the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ of God's perfect law and keeping that perfect law, and by faith obeying him all the days of his life. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant, notice it's the knowledge of the righteous servant, justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He went to the cross fully knowing what was expected of him. He had obeyed perfectly for 33 years and a half. And he justified many by taking his perfect life based on the knowledge of God's law and a life full of faith and lived by faith and giving it as a substitute for us. Therefore, I do love the 12th verse. Amen. Therefore, because Jesus did all this in the previous 14 verses, God now takes up the first person. Our Father in heaven forsook the Lord Jesus Christ when He was on the cross under the guilt and the punishment and chastisement of our sins. But when that sacrifice was paid, Almighty God was very pleased and very happy and very thankful and very much loved His Son and gave Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. And now He takes up the first person because he has let wicked men do this to the Lord Jesus Christ for 14 verses. He calls him my righteous servant in verse 11 because he was righteous. He calls him my my servant shall deal prudently in verse 13, but now he says, I, I have something that I'm going to do. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He was promoted. How high? You can't get any higher. He was given a name. You can't get a better name. He was crowned above all principalities, powers, thrones, might, and dominion. And I know you hear me say that three times a weekend because I love those words. The Lord Jesus Christ descended and then He ascended. And when He ascended, the Bible tells us He ascended far above all angels, everything in heaven, earth, and hell. Only one exception, the God who put all things under His feet. And that's the spoil. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. What's his portion? Everything in heaven, earth, and hell under his feet. Every enemy under his feet. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Part of the blessing was the personal indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which God gave Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ poured it out upon the church. In Psalm 68, it says that Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven and received gifts for men. When Paul quotes that in Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven and gave gifts unto men. Okay? That's right here. I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. I'm trying to tie it all together for you briefly. Why? Four reasons. He hath poured out his soul unto death. He chose to die. The good shepherd laid down his life willingly. 
He was numbered with transgressors. He was treated like a common criminal by the Jews and the Romans. He bare the sin of many. He took their iniquities upon himself, and he made intercession for the transgressors. While they mocked him and cast lots for his garments, as he hung there naked on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For those four reasons. And we are jam-packed right into that, because we would have done the same thing. He divided the spoil with him, and Jesus has shared that spoil with us. Amen. 221 in the Burgundy. If your favorite communion hymn was overlooked, I'm sorry. I had to cut a few out. I had 11. That's a little extreme. I want Eric, 221 in the Burgundy. That dreadful night before his death, the
He is the Lion of Judah. And He is the Lamb of God. He is the Prince of the Kings of the Earth. He is the High King of Heaven. He is our Lord and our Savior. Brethren, God has chosen us Gentiles to be made partakers with the Jews who were given salvation, the gospel of it first. We heard about it on Wednesday evening. I want us to rejoice right now that David's kingdom, of which all the nations in the vicinity of Israel paid tribute to him, because all enemies were under his feet, that's why he wrote Psalm 18, because God had given him victory over all his enemies. That kingdom has been restored, and we are citizens of it. Amen. By grace. The son of David sits on the throne of David's kingdom. And he reigns forever and ever, and his kingdom shall be not be given to other people, but it shall last forever. This little supper here is what that great king asks for. I've said it once, I'll say it again. David sent a flagon of wine, a loaf of bread, a good piece of flesh home with every family in Israel. David's name was much set by in Israel. And they all sat and enjoyed a fellowship meal together with provision from David. Mm -hmm. Oh, one far greater than David is here. Right. David never died for anyone. The Lord Jesus Christ died for us. And this is His family in this place. This is His body. Mm -hmm. He indwells this by the Holy Spirit. And He brings us bread and wine for a fellowship meal. Abraham had this meal with Melchizedek. And Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the bread, we see his torn body. Think of fists, thorns, scourge, nails, whatever you need to think of. His body was torn for you because it pleased the Lord to bruise him and it pleased the Lord to put him to grief for you so that you will never be put to grief for the sins and the grief you have caused God. Right. And the wine reminds us of his shed blood. This is one of the most important events. And the only reason I say it's not the most important event is because there's other churches of saints doing the same thing that is happening in the world today. Mm -hmm. I don't care what's happening on Pennsylvania Avenue. And neither does Jesus Christ. Right. right. This is his kingdom. Amen. Right. And we are going to reign over all because all things are ours. Go read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is so exciting. Isaiah 52, 13 through Isaiah 53, 12 describe what Jesus did for us. Right. I hope today that you've thought upon the hatred of God, a subject not mentioned much, but there's no hatred toward us mm -hmm. because Jesus Christ has washed away all of our sins and made us holy and without blame before Him. In love. Amen. Amen. This is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus the Lord. And this is how He wants to be remembered until He comes. He is coming for us. Right. And I would not have told you if I wasn't coming for you. I go to prepare a place for you. But until I come back, I'd like you to remember what I did for you because I loved you so much. Amen. This is why we do it. Right. Who's, tr who 
denied him? Anyone in here deny the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah. Yeah. As we sang, "Ah, there is Jesus." I denied him. I crucified him. And therefore, since I cannot pay him, I do adore him, and will ever pray. Amen. Let us pray. Blessed and holy Father, thank you for raising up your righteous servant to pour out his soul into death, to be numbered with the transgressors, mm-hmm. to bear the sin of many, yes. and to make intercession for the transgressors. Right. It was we, Lord Jesus, that denied thee. It was right. we that crucified thee. Yes. Thank you for laying down your life for us. Bless this bread to our comprehension and understanding. We are thankful for it. We're thankful that your body was broken and bruised for us and that it pleased the Lord to do it. We're thankful that you are now resurrected and ascended into heaven, highly exalted and extolled there at the right hand of God Almighty. Bless us to live worthy of your name. Thank you for loving us first. Help us to love thee more. Stir us up by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Father in heaven, forgive us our sins. Yes. Forgive us our sinfulness. Forgive us our sin natures. Forgive us the weakness of our flesh. Right. Our spirits indeed are willing. In Jesus' name. The Lord Jesus Christ said, This is my body, which is broken for you. He was willing to let it be broken for you. Mm -hmm. And it pleased his Father to break it for you. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do as oft as ye eat in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Heavenly Father, we remember the words of thy righteous servant who said with great desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with his apostles, but he said he would not eat it again until it was fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. And we thank thee that we live 2,000 years on this side of the cross. And the Passover has been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And His blood has not only been sprinkled on nations, His blood was sprinkled by Your electing grace on us. And when You see the blood, You will pass over us. And though our sins be many, and though the books of the works of our lives be opened in that great day of judgment, We shall look no different than the wicked in many respects, but we thank Thee that You'll pass over us because You'll see the blood. We thank Thee, Heavenly Father, that it is the book of life of the Lamb slain. We thank Thee for the Lamb in all the whiteness and purity of a sinless Son of God shed His blood for our sins. We thank Thee, Heavenly Father, that the emblem of life 
in the redness of blood which had been shed for 4,000 years was put away forever by the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. And when we take this cup, O Lord, we see in it a picture of His shed blood by which we were redeemed unto Thee. And You have delivered us from the wrath to come. And we thank Thee and praise Thee in Jesus' name. Help us now by faith and by Thy Spirit to rejoice in the fountain that was opened for us for uncleanness in Jerusalem, to put away our sins forever, that we can stand before Thee in boldness as Your dear children, holy and without blame, made accepted in the Beloved. In Jesus' name, we thank Thee and praise Thee. Amen. 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 Jonathan Christina are at home with all their little children, including Molly. Chris and Rebecca are on a short vacation. I do not see Grandma. Grandma's sick. Uh, my mind just went blank. Stephen, Stephen had to work. There's another one. Christine, thank you. When we do something for someone and they thank us and they praise us and they thank us and they praise us, we quickly reach a point where we say, Stop. It wasn't that much. There's two things there that make us different from the Lord. What we give them it wasn't very much. Right, right. And second, we know we're sinful scum. I want to tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ. He isn't tired of this feast. Amen. He loves it over and over and over and over again. Because he has no sin nature that makes him feel guilty with all the thanksgiving and praise. He is the Lord of glory and deserves every single bit that we can give him and we don't give him enough. Yes, that's right. Right. So rejoice in your hearts. He is blessed in heaven right now. Though he has had millions and millions and millions of Lord's suppers by millions and millions of saints, he loves this one. And let's give it to him. I, I do adore thee and will ever pray. He said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it. In remembrance of me. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 124 in your burgundies. 124. Stand with me if you will. 124.
Thank you, Eric. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yes. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.